Real quick, James. Yes. Can I steal one of them Red Bulls? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in the refrigerator out so there. Much, I want Red Bull. Well, you gotta come all the way over you here. You got it. You gotta come over. I, want a I would love now. to make myself a cup of tea, but in a bit when there's an mm-hmm. appropriate stopping yeah, point. Yeah, uh, you know what? Actually, uh, this is a good time for a break. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry to keep you waiting on break. doing uh, stuff, Liz. <laughs> I already got my coffee and I already peed, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> okay, great. Since this is just between me and Liz, that should be fine. What is Gable doing? I'm just going to ask. Gable you. wants a Red Bull so goddamn bad. Ah! So, so Gable is getting going, on the brown line. Going to the grocery store. Uh <laughs> Why do men look to you, Oromar Vale? Hmm. And why do you want them to look to you? Uh, Oromar gives, I think, a breezier smile. He quite enjoyed the reading, actually, and it was a beautiful location to be read to. I don't think that's actually something he's had to experience uh, hmm. in a very long time. The idea of storytelling when one's is fighting for their lives is something that doesn't come up very often. Hmm. I find that what motivates me to continue having the crew of the Uhuru is to give those I meet a chance for their own definition of freedom. I had to learn what freedom was for myself, and you encounter a surprising number of people who don't really have a definition for themselves yet. I I do believe that that is what called you to become captain. But, and pardon if this is invasive or impertinent, <laughs> that isn't what I was referring to. No, maybe I misunderstood your question. In my reading... Before the Sovereign was the Sovereign, they were the voice in the darkness, and they gave blessings, and those blessings made life, and life found its own freedom. But the voice in the darkness did not stay the voice in the darkness after light was called into the world. Eventually, eventually, sight was plucked away to forge the crown, and that's what you carry now. And so my question to you is what do you plan on doing, and why do men follow you now? (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised. You've had, I think, a lot of time to uh, process your own philosophies and gain a sense for what exists around you. I've had more time than most. Many wouldn't recognize it as they'd never seen it before. Hmm. But I have the misfortune of doing exactly that. I hope you're not too bored with nobody else to philosophize alongside. Cerise and I have had plenty of time to discuss philosophies, and uh, I'd hope for plenty more. That makes me glad. What I intend is to be the entity in the darkness that people can call for when they are lost, like sheep, who need a shepherd to steer them to a freedom they may not immediately understand. But that is a two-way conversation. 
I don't believe it is my place to forcibly steer people towards a freedom that I understand that's not quite the same thing. I think you'd agree. I, I would. At the very least, I would hope that compared to the other shepherds that arrived to your island, you admit that I am not a wolf and that I am a shepherd of my own kind, but I like to think that we are not forcibly steering you to a freedom that I've decided. Tell me, Ormar Vale, do you know what truly separates a shepherd from a wolf? Hmm. I would say that depends on the story being told. That is a fascinating answer. I have a bit of a side and ongoing interest for oral storytelling. Well, then... I'll tell you what I've learned and what it means here, here in a place where there are no wolves. A wolf comes, spills the blood of the herd, takes what it needs and leaves. Shepherd still spills the blood of the herd, still takes what it needs, but it is also a part of the herd. When blood of the herd is spilled, It is the blood of the shepherd that is spilling alongside it. Should the herd wither, disappear, and die, so too will the shepherd. Hmm. I believe, as captain, you have been a shepherd. Thank you. I didn't think I would be... grateful to hear that, actually. But... But... The crown of the sovereign is not the hood of a shepherd. Hmm. And I suppose, uh, Oromar sighs getting up from, uh, the, the grassy hill. This is where the metaphors and philosophies fall apart. After all, there are not just sheep and shepherds in the world. The shepherd does maybe take things from their flock, keep them in balance, but those things are not solely for the shepherd. Aye. That would be a dragon, maybe. I don't know if dragons exist in this setting. (laughs) They do now. Uh, Dragon! You know, the metaphor... Okay, y'all can help me here then. If, If we can't do dragon hoarding their wealth as a metaphor here, we are talking about stories, but you know, what kind there of other sh- thing would be amassing a hoard just to have? I think dragons exist in storytelling and sphere. I do like the idea of there still being made up stuff mm. in a world yeah. that's full of like fanciful nonsense. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the line cool, drawn. perfect. There's Thank you for clarifying. not dragons. But well, mm. well, there are probably sea serpents, yeah. which are kind of like dragons. Sea like dragons. a dragon. Ooh, oh, like um, there would be dragon now. types in Pokemon. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Since we are talking within the realm of stories, a shepherd doesn't just take from the herd for themselves to keep. That would be a fairy tale about a dragon. And I don't think I am of the fire-breathing sort. There are other people involved in the relationship between shepherds and their herds. There are other people outside of this island that you do not see, that you do not encounter, that are both benefited and betrayed by what you do and what you give. And that can weigh heavy on a heart. I know that better than you'd think. And at this moment, we are going to cut back to the wind and breeze around the island again until we find Gable. Hmm? I want to know where Gable is and what Gable is doing. I think Gable did see and encounter these beings as we left the ship. And, you know, Gable's not smart per se, but they're not stupid um, or that stupid. So <laughs> what am I doing? I think I am inside of doors. Um, oh. The the business of 
porting and the paperwork and the fines and the fees that's all been sorted out but i think that gable is a in combination with feeling a divine presence but not really wanting to look too much further into it because they're just sort of annoyed and maybe just chalking it up to themselves being very like more i'm more angely today so maybe it's just me uh (laughs) they're kind of taking themselves around the business and doing all the just all all the busy stupid work that typically they don't do but they don't want to be outside or around they're just sort of like antsy and annoyed Okay, okay. I like this. You know, there, there, there's no helm. Like, there is physical labor to be done. But also, you know, the Uhuru has plenty of crew. And eventually, there's uh, too many cooks in the kitchen type thing. Mm-hmm. And there is other work to be done. Once the ship has been inventoried, it has to be logged. Or even you have to set up the logs uh that that will hold that inventory so i think gable uh being someone who can definitely read and write Uh is sort of helping bathroom barry with that work it's not even the paperwork it is the preparation of paperwork um cutting paper (laughs) hole punching just the real stupid stuff yeah, yeah. It might even like being setting up a ruled grid for like checking boxes or adding numbers mm-hmm. and whatnot, um, preparing the spreadsheets for, for Bathroom Barry. Um, it is not difficult work. It is the kind of work that it is easy to disappear into. And uh, we mentioned being indoors. I think there is. Calling it a tavern would be too generous. There is a sort of pub on this island. It, it is necessary to brew things um, in order to like drink and eat or to drink in the setting because brewing infuses air into water, which prevents uh, the, the curse that is generally upon Sphere's waters from being harmful to the body. Um, at least that is in most belief traditions. There have got to be some sweet grasses that grow on this land uh, that have like just enough sugar to ferment. So there is like this bizarre, almost wheat beer um, that they have here that has like, uh, I think like almost a thick matcha taste to it. Uh, so it's it's not super pleasant, um, but it is like... I think like you mix it with maybe a little bit of a citrus element and uh, a couple other things and it, it becomes palatable. Mm, um, it like doesn't a have moon. a heavy alcohol content. So you just like a blue throw moon. them back on the work day. Yeah, mm. it's like a blue moon. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you uh, have like glasses full of this and it's you and whatever contingent uh, bathroom barrier is entertaining. I think Pliff is here uh, with you doing this because this is like ideal Pliff work. Yeah. Uh, you know, he can't cause a calamity here or the calamities that he causes here are only like spilled ink and whatever. If mm-hmm. you keep him far enough away, he's not going to be an impediment and he might actually help out. Mm hmm. There are clouds gathering overhead. Um, the, the skies outside, even though it is not yet late in the evening, the skies are darkening. Um, and a light rain is starting to fall. Um, and in the distance, there is a crack of thunder that suddenly feels or sounds much closer because although nobody in your room realized it, the door is open and filling the door is the silhouette of one of these strangely dressed locals. Yeah. <laughs> the, the being that you, you met as Cerise, as the Uhuru landed, they did not speak to you really in the same way that that Laniel uh, did dealing with the rest of the crew 
Um, they're sort of like the bartender uh, that that is here. Somebody who is extremely quiet. You speak to them. You can tell that they understand the things that you say, but they don't converse with you. And it's something that your group, especially Bathroom Barry, who can get a little chatty, has just kind of had to accept. But yes, Cerise is in the doorway. Pliff flips ass over tea kettle <laughs> on his stool, completely covered in ink, screaming, <laughs> uh, flailing around as if he were a turtle. And <laughs> but no one gets up to help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I, this has happened three times so far. I think Pliff has a backpack on. Um, and like when, did he when take he sat it off? down, he didn't really take it off. So like it wedged over the back of the chair. So when he fell down, the straps of his backpack are now pinning him to the chair. So he's very much like a turtle. He cannot get up under his own power. Uh, Gable, because this is the third time this has happened, sort of nudges Pliff over to the side with, with their foot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, oh, I'm so covered in ink. Oh, oh this has a real waste of really fine ink. Oh, but I'll try and squeeze my shirt out to put it back into the Don't squeeze bottle. your shirt. Don't squeeze your shirt. We don't want your shirt ink. We have, we'll get other ink. It's so expensive. I simply, it's, it seems so wasteful. Yeah. Oh, I'll put, I'll, I know what I'll Come do. I'll on, put son. my, Come put, on, put my pen, <laughs> suck it up onto the shirt. And that'll be like a blotter. I think that'll work. Okay. I'm how how have you survived? Not well this long. Pretty it's been a lot of harrowing events. See, look at how full of full of ink the plume is. I'm so tired. <laughs> With this, Cerise takes a step into the room. We can see that. Cerise's like outfit is one of the only ones that has patterns of gray woven into this cloak. Um, again, they have this kind of disquieting, wide-brimmed, uh, pointed hood. It is almost like a hood got mushed together with a Gandalf-style wizard hat. Mm. There is just like this broad brim but the edges of it fold into a hood and this big point coming off the top of it the gray patterns that are woven into this cloak are just eyes so many eyes and yeah they cut a very spooky and intimidating figure as they come into the room they have what appears to be an iron crook which is not a very practical thing and must be extremely heavy to carry around but they also don't seem to mind it much as uh they walk into the room with it and cast about until you can tell their gaze settles upon gable and this has happened a few times today right like cerise has just been kind of staring at me right yeah, I will say Cerise has been kind of staring at you uh, for some time. But like this is Cerise has actually like entered a room that you are in and like has stared at you in a way that like this is so much more uncomfortable than before. Before you like were catching Cerise staring at you. But now Cerise has entered a space and is staring directly at you. Okay. Gable sort of thumps the stack of papers that they've been lining and puts them down next to Barry and stands up and says, well, I helped with what I can and I don't claim that my work is fantastic, but hopefully be useful for all of your various sundry needs. I trust you, you all will uh, continue this good work and in my stead, <laughs> perhaps even better. <laughs> Yeah, we'll 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 keep on. Everyone's doing wonderfully, right? We're such a good team, and we're all good friends. 
<laughs> few times there are a few times in which Barry is like kind of rendered a little speechless but he's like yeah we're we're good friends and you'd David. miss me if I was gone right uh, y- yes of course Thanks. which mm-hmm. is why you, no one is making you leave but I must away but if I were gone for a longer period of time than would be anticipated it would certainly be noticed would it not it would certainly, it would certainly be noticed, mm. and that longer period of time is anywhere between ten to twelve minutes. Excellent. That is the perfect. Which is, yeah. Mm-hmm, which is something we all know, mm-hmm. and and that is something that we all normally do at the on the Uhuru. Absolutely. So, I'll see you in ten to twelve minutes, or something. Is all. It'll be unusual. Absolutely. It would be. It'd be weird. Yeah. Anyway, Pliff, get back up. (laughs) (laughs) I've fallen again. (laughs) Gable walks past Cerise, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Walks past Cerise, gives her the eyeball, and as if to indicate, like, all right, let's let's talk. Let's get this out of the way. Yeah. Cerise, like, taps her crook on the ground as Gable begins to pass, and... The air fills with like a ringing, almost like someone struck a tuning fork. Um, It is just very resonant with itself, has an almost pleasant bell-like quality, perhaps being a little bit unsettling just in how long the reverberations last. She does that and walks out with Gable and turns to Gable and indicates with hand sign a message that simply says follow i do it and so gable is led along a path uh saying path here is pretty generous there are places where the grass is more worn than other places but there is very little area here that feels like it is not wild in a way you know the grass here must grow very quickly and it grows very tall so unless you are in one of the pastures that has been you know recently fully eaten down by the sheep you are in very difficult to to traverse high grasses um saving grace for gable of course is that they're very tall yeah but you walk up and down over these hills uh to the interior of the island where there is this pond. It is, much like the rest of this island, pretty strikingly beautiful. It falls in this valley that is heavier than most valleys, uh, so it is actually pretty well sheltered from the wind. It is today, on a day where the wind is not high yet, It is glass smooth, and you can see through it very easily. There is sand, uh, like like dark, dark sand. At the bottom of it, it is mixed with clay and dirt, and you can see while there aren't any fish there, there are shrimp uh, uh, in this, like living, you know, relatively happily. But as you get here, You can also see that in, like, the small beach surrounding this pond, there are iron crooks uh, set up. They are iron crooks that have been set up uh, and have, like, some mechanism to raise them up. Uh, And they are arranged in a pattern. Liz, if you like, you could make a... Somewhat difficult intellect check to know what is going on here, um, but it would be a little difficult, and the only thing you would learn is what is going on here. Uh, so it's up to Gable. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't really sell me on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been doing a roll. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so with that, like you are in this strange place, and kind of immediately. Uh, Cerise begins uh, setting up their current iron crook in one of these complex looking devices. I didn't mean to be rude. 
by the time that I knew that you and your buddy were, you know, angels, I thought that the time had passed to say hello and it was it was awkward. It was awkward. I'm sorry. You, I, I think, like Gable is kind of like babbling, yeah, at, at them while while they are. See, working it's been a long year, and it has been a year. And before that, <laughs> listen, I don't know what the situation is right now with you know all of us, and I am trying to be better about helping out my fellow celestial. But you know, old habits die hard, and I need to get better at it. But it's uh, how are how are you? I'm great. Um, no, I'm not. It's bad. Everything's bad. Um, and things are increasingly difficult to exist and be a danger in the world. And uh, I miss my friends and everyone around me dies. But you know all about that one. Um, and there is a screeching of iron upon iron as uh, the crook head of this staff is being unscrewed um it eventually like uh moves easily and comes loose uh and cerise reaches into their robe and takes out an iron looking construction that appears as though it like has this recess and it's hard to tell like what shape it is generally, but as you see what Cerise does next, it becomes quite obvious. Cerise reaches towards their back and plucks a feather off of themselves and lays it gently into the recessed iron on this and screws it into the staff before tapping it a little bit to hammer in and pin down the edges of the feather onto it. So now the iron staff has like this point on top of it that houses a small angel's feather. Um, The eyes of it are open and darting around. And Cerise puts it into the device and then turns a wheel that kind of raises up uh, this iron rod above the rest. And then turns to you and gestures in a way to say, call it. I'm not. What do you you mean? What do you mean? Call it the lightning, the thunder, call it to the ground. Okay. I need to be super, super frank with you. Like, I don't know what your deal with the sovereign is, but. I'm pretty sure, like, even if you are super into him, he is really PO'd right now. And any attention that I draw is going to bring him. I don't I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea. They gesture uh, for silence and then they gesture more insistently. Call it. Oh, <laughs> Hey heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, if you like what you're hearing here on Skyjacks, I know you'll love Skyjacks Courier's Call. And we are currently in the middle of kickstarting a third season for Skyjacks Courier's Call. We've already hit our goal. It's definitely coming out. However, right now we are pushing for the stretch goal that I have been excited about since we hit launch on the project. You see, our initial goal was $12,000, which gets a 15-episode season. However, if we manage to hit $15,000, we will double the length of that season to 30 episodes. I love Courier's Call. I love listening to Drew, Ali, Aaron, and Palomi play. So doubling the length of that season is very important to me. If you'd like to help out, please head over to bit.ly slash cc season 3. Search Kickstarter for Courier's Call Season 3 or follow the link in our show notes. Heroes, you may have heard on one of these very mid-rolls that I have a new publishing project out. The Ultimate RPG Campfire Card Deck is a tool designed to help increase intimacy between characters in role-playing games. And I could use your help. 
If you've purchased a copy of Campfire Cards, you can help me by leaving a review for it on Amazon. You don't need to have purchased the product through Amazon to leave a review. And those reviews do a couple things. First of all, they make my products more discoverable. But secondly, my publisher checks those reviews very closely. And that helps me pitch new projects to them. I'm aiming to get 50 reviews within the first month of releasing the product. So please, if you have a copy of Campfire Cards, if you've enjoyed it, head over to Amazon and leave a review. You can find that page by heading to bit.ly slash campfirerpg. A huge thank you to our backers on Patreon. Patreon makes everything that we do on the show possible, and we couldn't do all the exciting things that we have on the way without that support. So if you like what you hear, please head to patreon.com slash oneshotpodcast and sign up to support us. A huge thank you to everyone who supports us already and everyone who's going to sign up in the future. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. And with all that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. I don't, I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea. They gesture uh, for silence, and then they gesture more insistently. Call it. Oh, <laughs> God. But I'm so curious. It's so stupid. I'm so stupid. Why do I keep on doing these stupid things, God? Oh, fine. Only because I was rude before, and this is my I'm sorry, okay? All right, just one. All right, Liz, this is going to be a bedeviling challenge. Bedeviling! So, the word. Why yeah. did you do this to me? Yeah, that is that is the difficulty spike there. That is against three little black diamonds. Um, it is low stakes, but it is bedeviling. Okay. Um, I've got four diamonds in magic yeah do you want to add anything before making the roll it is up to you probably not uh how do we make the roll (laughs) so uh you're gonna roll uh 4d8 okay and all right let's see okay let's see i think this will be fine i'm not gonna add anything i think it'll be fine Mm -hmm. because i'm doing this begrudgingly anyway okay Eight, three, four, seven. Let's see here. All right, you barely succeed. Ooh, mm. bedeviling. <laughs> and there is a complication. Okay. And there is uh, two points of fate. Um, you can squirrel that away to add to various roles and whatnot mm. uh, as, as we progress further into our session. So... Overall, you are going to succeed. The big thing uh, that I want to ask you is, you know, what Cerise has indicated for Gable to do is they want you to call down lightning to strike this lightning rod. What does that look like? How does Gable do it? I want you to just put put me in the moment of this cool anime-ass magic stuff that you're about to do. Gable typically would like do this via their sword but are for even though appearances are sort of lost right now uh, i think there's uh, they're trying to maintain some form of propriety and uh, an attempt to not fully broadcast their entire deal so sure. instead they sort of scrape against their own fingernails to mm-hmm. kind of create a spark and rub their fingernails quite a bit just because like maybe there's like touches of firmament firmament still in their hands from when the last time they they touched the rock and using that friction uh it draws down what is almost impossibly a very sweet small lightning bolt that is more of creates more of electric shock than thunder i I really love the way that you describe this. Uh, to me, like there is, it's almost like a flint and steel situation mm-hmm. where, like, 
you're you're doing this and then eventually it is one where where sparks would fly out i feel like the way to describe this lightning bolt is sweet like almost sizzling a a, a candy floss lightning bolt it is, <laughs> it is there but only barely there we can see you know whatever stray hairs gable has are like raising up on end with static electricity and it is one where the thunder strike although it comes very quickly on the heels of the lightning still sounds like it is uh calling from a distance however the lightning does come down does strike this lightning rod and you can see power flow through this angel feather and strike into the earth itself and the sand around it. There is this like red hot lighting of the sand beneath your feet as lightning glass has been created at the bottom oh. of this rod. And the I, I feel like the power in the area, like you can still feel the crackles of it in the air. The rain is still falling like very softly sizzling around the lightning grass. And now looking to Cerise, Cerise looks a lot more, I want to say disarmed. They, they had this kind of, spooky ghost of christmas future <laughs> vibe to them before but now they appear so much smaller so much smaller and maybe look more like a person who's dressed up in a kind of ridiculous hat <laughs> but they look at you and they gesture so it is you it is bellwether, after all. Do I now recognize them? I, I think even within the feathers that that you picked up from the Morning Star recently, it is not there. There are no memories in that. In fact, you also probably have not encountered those memories um I, I think you've built yourself up enough feathers at this point that you have some kind of mechanism within you that helps you meter out when you are struck by memories especially as some of them leave you incapacitated and it could be inconvenient which means you have been carrying around these things that ha that could potentially have emotional weight and you have just been sitting on Maybe I'll encounter my past, but I'm also pretty busy right now, <laughs> so I could do something else instead of therapy. Uh, maybe I'll do that. So, yeah, you don't you know what it implies for somebody to call you be Bellwether. You know the shape of what they must be, but you don't remember the individual, at least right now. Gotcha. I think that weight of difference of Knowing something is missing in your mind, but knowing how emo the emotion tied to it is way too much. And that combined with the the overall stress of the last couple of weeks, the, the bellwether in me is starting to just like tears silently running down the, their face and they drop to their knees and pull the uh, Cerise's cloak to their face and bury bury their face in it. And I think you look up and Liz, I would like you to describe, you know, b beneath the hood, I, I think like actually the hood hat kind of like falls back as this is happening. Something about like the shrinking of them as a person has just sort of made the hood fall back. What does Cerise look like? I think like the, whatever our ideas of cherubs are that terribly incorrect cherubim mm -hmm. are very terrifying like they're just if angels are just eyes they are fire and teeth and eyes and just very very scary uh but i think cerise has in a, a weird way attempted to take on the visage of 
man's idea of cherubim. So they look like a child, but with a very old face that is somehow it just doesn't fit. I kind of like the idea. This sounds like a teenager to me. This sounds yeah. like, you know, somebody who is got both childlike features and adult features uh, horribly mashed together in the same body. It's just the proportions aren't right. They don't fit. But like, yeah, you look at this person, especially I as a, a father now, like when I look at a teenager and go, Oh God, this is a child. Somebody, <laughs> somebody protect this poor creature that stands up too tall. Um, <laughs> too lanky. Top heavy. Arms yeah. too long. <laughs> they look down at you. Um, I think their hair is black, like, like very, very dark black. And I'm going to say that they've got a skin that is on the darker side. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to go ascribing a specific nationalities. This is not a white person. Okay. I really, I want to say we have a canonically non-white angel <laughs> that will be played by a non-white actor. Yeah. I don't want to go too far into anything else, um, uh, for right now, uh, because that does, that feels less helpful, <laughs> but, uh, we do need to establish that angels are not just white people. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> um, we, know, we don't know what it is, but we know what it ain't. <laughs> and yeah, there there is something about this person standing in front of you. That this, this girl, this child who has probably had to live as a human. Well, not even probably. Definitely has had to live as a human longer than Gable has. Uh, the distinct feature, apart from her, her dark hair, her childlike features, uh, she has a massive scar on her throat. And I, I think she reaches out and puts a hand on Gable's shoulder and, and another on Gable's other shoulder and just, like, embraces you. And I don't know if we established a height for Cerise, um, but we'll say Cerise... For an angel, especially, is pretty short. Yeah. Gable sort of gets up and wipes their eyes. Uh, how long have you... <laughs> how long have we known each other? And they gesture. How long has there been time? That's my joke. I can probably gather that Cerise has at least seen me when I went to the Saratora. I can sort of assume that, right? Yeah. You may have... Uh, you know what? I think we can fit in. You have seen this person before. Even if you can't remember your full relationship with this being, we'll give you a flashback. When did you see Cerise in the Saratora? It could have been extremely brief. You might not have even talked, but you definitely saw each other. I was prisoner, so probably like there's probably like a fire on board the the boat we were going on, and so everyone had to be evacuated, and that was the only reason why they let me outside. So I was just sort of sitting on the dock, sort of leaned mm. over with a. It was very brief, and then was quickly shuffled back in. But she, they probably saw me. I have a question, Cable. Did you start the fire? I mean. I mean, <laughs> this is an important question. Gable was captured, you know, having lived the life that Gable lived, which Saratura is only 50 years after Gable, after the stars fell and, and Gable crashed down to Earth. So, you know, I don't know what Gable's personality is like, but if Gable was captured and, and found a moment, would they try and start a fire on the boat? Would they try and you know, facilitate some kind of escape or Prob Gable just like, I'm depressed. At, and I'm at that point, unfortunately, I think it was pretty sad uh, because that whole time of the story tour took way longer and half of it was Travis convincing me to leave. It was. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Well, then the person who did that was Cerise. Oh. Cerise set that fire. And I think 
the reason that Cerise's face is really familiar to you now is part of bringing you and the others into the Saratora is Cerise's throat, which was used to utter the words that cast the spell that caused the fire on the ship, was slit. And more harrowing and horrible than that, as we know, angels cannot die. There was a surgery that was performed in the Saratura to reroute the vocal cords so that they would not heal properly so that this creature cannot speak. Uh. Mm. Oh. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Because I I had thought that Cerise was sort of like always in hiding on the island. I never sort of clocked that she, alongside, obviously, many others were also in, in fucking prison. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, the other thing, um, just so it is explicitly put out there, being part of Gable's former choir, they were cast down before Gable slay, slew the Sovereign. Yeah. So like They've they have been on Sphere for for a minute. Gosh, I have so many things I want to ask. I'm trying to see like what I would naturally remember. Where were you when the Saratura fell? They start gesturing out a story. I was in a cell, locked far away. The first lesson the Saratora taught me is one that I sadly had to take to heart. I am ashamed to say that I did not try to escape. And were it not for Laniel, I would not be here. I can't... <laughs> simply cannot blame you i never went back for anyone i i am grateful for the people who have been kind to me and who have done service to me and for me i'm so sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry for all of it so it is all it's all so difficult isn't it cerise nods um, I think Cerise, like, squats down uh, next to the area where the lightning glass is, is still cooling. There is still steam rising up from the sand. She looks so small. I imagine it must be. It must be so difficult to be the destroyer. Up until recently, I was in tremendous amounts of denial. And that can get you through many hundreds of years. It was only until a few decades ago that I began to reckon with what I did. And even more years after that, realizing uh, what a useless emotion that was. At this, Cerise looks a little confused and gestures what you did. Do you mean what you are? How do you? I, I've caused the fall of civilization. I doomed hundreds of my brethren to death and mortal living. It, it is what I did. I am defined by what I did. I am I am what I have done and my action. Cerise, like, nods along a little bit as you were saying this. And, like, as you're approaching the end, like, shake, shakes her head and begins signing again. But it can't be just what you did. What you are is the destroyer. After you did that. You continued. Continued. I was cast down. I continued nothing. Bellwether, was it not you that destroyed the Saratura? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but that was just one. 
that's not a, like a pattern of behavior. Two, two, actually, you're right. Two is a pattern of behavior. I did kill God and then destroy up. Mm. <laughs> Have <I> mean, you <laughs> not laid down others since? Yeah, I. Ooh. So you're getting me now. You're catching. You're you're catching me in technicalities. I have continued to kill, and but that's all. Uh I wouldn't say I'm defined by that. That's just a, that's part of the job. Forgive me, Bellwether. I am too assailed to live in philosophy so much. But did you not just say that you are defined by what you have done? <laughs> you right. are you are the destroyer the destroyer i'm not <laughs> and like the when you say when, when uh cerise says that like says it animatedly and excitedly with uh their gestures and like smiles towards the end of it and and nods i'm i'm not i don't want to be all i do is tear apart and it's uh, it's so lonely I don't want to be this, and it happens all the time, and I'm trying to not. Cerise, like, waves their hands. I imagined that you knew something deeper than everyone else, that, that, that you, you see it. And, and after the Saratura, I, I knew, I felt that even now you must know that. That must be what drives you. <laughs> Boy, this sucks. <sighs> maybe, maybe I'm pulled by puppet strings that I do not see. Maybe I, in my heart, know alongside all the other things that I've forgotten, something secret that drives me, that drives all of us, but it, uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. They're, they they do look like she, like she looks like she just shrunk a little bit and gestures if you don't if you don't know deeper right from deeper wrong then perhaps what i am what i've brought you here to ask of you is unfair no no whatever it is i'm sure it's doable and it would be a fun, it'll be a favor. And also, I've got, I've got to talk to you, to talk to someone about, about all this. That's enough. That's a start. She nods. And she signs, I need you to ease my suffering. <sighs> Scotty Jackson. The next entry, dated three months later. Do not, under any circumstance, drink the humors of a fallen. Even altered alchemically, mixed with red wine to make it more palatable, it is a living substance. Fallen cannot die, and seemingly, no part of them can. I've taken some time off to recover, now that it has left my system I do wonder at the sleeping awareness that it might give my subject. So much essence spilled here. All of it living. Feathers are safe. Well, as safe as any of this is. I think he's beginning to tire of me. Or I grow restless. Either. Or. It doesn't matter. I will leave soon. The notes once again become incoherent, but this time it is an ordered incoherence. 
strange symbols, arrayed in patterns that betray some kind of frantic order. Pages flick by with symbol after symbol, some surrounding diagrams, others mixed with a scrawl that resembles the language of the church. After many pages, the book once again comes to an entry written in standard tongue. My eyes are open now. I can tell you the number of hairs on a person's head. I can tell you when they've last eaten, what ails them, the thoughts that their own mind can't see. Seven feathers. After seven feathers, fitting a divine number, I could hide from even his sight. That's what it took to escape. Escape. How dramatic. Though, in truth, it was not him I had to flee. One of the captives managed to break free of the bonds of the Serratura. There was fire, wrath, and choking smoke. For my part, I simply left. I have their power now. Enough of it to seek my own. I did not destroy my notes. I left him all of my equipment. I even left a part of myself behind, bound to my favorite tool. Though that was a mixture of failed experimentation and the hurried circumstances of my departure, rather than sentiment. I also left subjects intact, save for a measure of skin. This journal's binding was falling apart. Now it lives. Forever. I think I shall live forever as well. I choose to. I see the way now. I will never have enough answers to the questions that will forever drive me. My earlier entries are full of assumptions and suppositions. I believe that every human comes apart in the same way, can be turned into little more than a pile of flesh left to rot. But how do I know that for certain? I believe that angels can never die. How to be certain? The only way through is more experiments. Take them apart and see what happens. Forever. The R trails and moves once more into an incoherence that fills nearly all the pages of the book. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. The history of role-playing games is weird and wild, and we here at System Mastery are determined to look through it all. Every heartbreaker that drove a man to bankruptcy to see his vision of D&D with really specific armor maintenance rules come to fruition. Every game where you get increasingly certain as you read it that this is all just one person's weird fetish. Every system that painstakingly recreates how medieval life was really like. And then also you can cast Fireball. The System Mastery podcast wallows in the filth of RPG history. Come. Join us in the muck at System Mastery. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Tyler is on strike alongside his fellow members of the WGA and SAG-AFTRA. You can support Tyler and other striking artists by contributing to the Entertainment Community Fund, linked in our show notes. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT, or streaming at twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG, or on my podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him over on Twitter at Arnie Parrot or on his website, ATP Tunes. This episode was edited by Allie Grauer, who can be found on Twitter at Dreams to Become, or on her podcast, Skyjack's Courier's Call. 
Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Lunarum. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show was made in part by using a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals. There are no kings. Take flight. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends ne'er rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.